and all these different things, the, well, the bulbs, I don't have a clue what they're about. <laughs> but we have these, these symbols that we decorate in celebrating the birth of Christ. And, and there's accusations made, you know, that these are, these are just pagan holidays. And they don't have all their roots in pagan idolatry. That's not an Asherah pole. No one there is bowing down thinking they're going to get fertile by bowing to that tree. No one is coming before this sculpture and worshiping it. You know, they cite uh, Isaiah chapter 44. It says, well, how crazy are these people in Israel? They'll, they'll chop down a tree and out of, out of half of it, they, they'll burn wood for, for their heat and out of the other half of the log, they'll shape into an idol and they'll bow down to it. You know, it's just nuts to have graven images. Nobody's bowing down to anything here. It's not representative of what they saw back then. Similar, similar problems happen on Resurrection Sunday. To be very honest with you, we hear it every year. Um, just to give you an idea of tradition versus what the Pharisees were doing. Because this is not like what the Pharisees were doing. No one is saying they're righteous by these behaviors. No one is claiming sins are forgiven by, by bowing down to a tree. They're decorations, is what they are. But on Easter, sometimes we'll hear, you know, that the, the sunrise services in the morning. Do you have those when you were a little kid? I had them at the Lutheran Church. It's said that uh, that commemorate the sun god coming up early in the morning, and it's a pagan tradition and everything. It's not. It's not. I, I learned from very early on that uh, the reason that we had sunrise services to, was to commemorate that the women went to the tomb Early in the morning, contained in every gospel, one gospel even says, while it was even still dark, very early they got up to go to the tomb. At the rise of the sun, that's the reason that churches have a sunrise service. They are not worshiping a sun god as it arises in the east. That's not what is in people's hearts. That's not what is happening. And Sunday, you hear that Constantine... Um, instituted Sunday as the day of worship, and that we, when we worship on Sunday, we worship the sun. Folks, Christ, Christians have always worshipped on Sunday, the first day of the week. Always on the first day of the week. And, and I just want to bring these up primarily because it, it's troubling to a lot of people out there. And you've got a lot of guys on the radio that are really trying to make their mark by being provocative and suggesting what we're doing in our actions is worshiping gods that we don't even know, and that vicariously somehow, no, not at all. Um, in fact, I would say it would be unwise to surrender Christmas, to surrender the holidays, surrender the symbolism in Jesus being the light of the world and the magi that followed the star to Bethlehem, to surrender that fully to the culture, rather than to explain to them why Christians have always enjoyed this. So I wouldn't get sucked in by preachers who instead of just thriving on the word, thrive on promoting controversy, on stuff that there's real no uh, historical um, evidence of or no merit behind them. These aren't Asherah poles. Christians who celebrate uh, Christmas don't worship Asherah poles. Christmas is an appropriate holiday as well. We don't know when Jesus was born, probably in the spring. 
But as he was born, it says that hosts of angels, a multitude of hosts of angels, sang praises in Jesus' birth. They were celebrating the birth of Christ. So there is a birth of Christ celebrated in Scripture, Luke chapter 2. It's wholly appropriate to celebrate the birth of our Savior. So don't get led away in that either, that Christmas is a pagan holiday, that Christians shouldn't have any say in what it represents. Where would that leave the culture if we were not engaged? Um, the prophet Zechariah wasn't martyred for crying out against Christmas trees. It was false religion, idols that Israel had bowed down to, and he was killed by the Jews who now claim to esteem the prophets by building ornate tombs in their honor. Even in Matthew 23, verse 30, Jesus accuses them of saying, If we've lived, been living in the days of our fathers, said the Pharisees, we would not have been partners with them in shedding of the blood of the prophets. But in reality, their hearts testify and their actions prove they would have acted just like their fathers. In their hearts, they're just as guilty of murdering the prophets, so they're going to be charged by God with the same. Is there any tangible evidence of this? Yes. Look at verse 53. When Jesus left there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to be very hostile and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch Jesus in something that he might say. The Gospel of John assures us already that by this time, the Jews had been long conspiring about how they're going to kill Jesus. Because Jesus was the prophet of all prophets. He was himself God speaking as the incarnate Son. The fact that they admittedly wanted to kill Jesus the prophet proves they are guilty of the same sins of their fathers who killed all the previous prophets. They insist, we would have not been partners in the killing of the prophets and the shedding of blood. But in reality, in just a number of weeks, just a number of weeks now, they will have become partners in killing the greatest prophet ever, God himself. They're liars. They're liars. They're going to strike out folks and kill God. God in the flesh. You ever think about that? They want to strike out and kill God. That's how much they hate Him. I wonder what would happen if Christ returned to walk the earth. We know, obviously, in His next advent when Christ comes, He'll return in glory. He's going to crush all enemies under His feet. He came first as a lamb. He's going to return as King of kings, Lord of lords. But imagine, you only hypothetically imagine for a moment, if Christ returned today and walked the earth as a prophet to preach once again. As he'd walk around, he would encounter all kinds of shrines built to honor him. As the Pharisees built tombs to honor the prophets, religious people today have built towers and great cathedrals, have raised crosses. There's even a shrine in Israel called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Sepulchre just means tomb, folks. The Holy Sepulchre is a church erected around 
what is a very ornate display of what some believe is the tomb Christ was laid in. And uh, they have a celebration each Resurrection Sunday or Easter, as it's traditionally called, where they burn torches and march around the tomb. I have just a few photos here. This would be the supposed tomb of Christ right there. And this is the, the miracle of fire celebration in Jerusalem. We got another one up there, Joel. Here's a second view of that. They've built the tomb. They've decorated the tomb. They've built a church around the tomb. And people flock around the tomb to celebrate. Maybe there's one more. This is the same celebration in another location. I don't know what's in the hearts of these folks. If it's anything like most churches across the country, including ours, there's probably a mix of believers with unbelievers. Pretty much every gathering, there's some genuine believers and some non-believers. What do they look like? They built a tomb. uh, A memorial of a tomb. Jesus says, Woe to you lawyers and Pharisees, you weighmen's down with burdens hard to bear while you yourselves won't even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, you build the tombs of the prophets. And it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve of their deeds because it was they who killed and you build their tombs. Memorials, cathedrals, extravagant shrines, ornate crosses, even a tomb built to honor Jesus. Those pictures characterize what we refer to as the high church. Very ornate, very flashy. I wonder if Jesus walked in unassuming, wearing sandals, having no place of his own to lay his head, and if he started pointing out their errors, how would they respond? How would they respond? I also wonder of the progressive or liberal church. You know, some erect lavish sanctuaries with ornate crosses hanging from the ceiling, all kinds of modern decor, entire denominations that emphasize how accepting they are. They accept anything and everything. Many of them preach Jesus loves you just like you are. He makes no demands for you to change your life. Many condone all kinds of wickedly sinful behaviors like abortion, fornication, homosexuality and the erect memorials to Christ what would they do if Jesus came back and preached again and said woe to you woe to you or what about the rigidly theological church saved us for last formal, strict, clean cut often an unspoken dress code, cliquish perhaps, cold towards outsiders or anyone who doesn't look just like them, historically unaccepting towards integration and inclusion, lots of head knowledge, very smart people, tons of Bible studies, little actual evangelism. What if Jesus walked in and said to that type of church, a theological church, this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. That is true. 
And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles. Oh, that's really true. And they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have, pers- you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Therefore remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did as at first, or else I'm going to come to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. How would we respond? How would we respond? For us to be aware of, folks, all of us from every tradition in every denomination in every church, it's another wheel of false religion. It's called the fifth wheel. Doesn't have to be four. There's lots of wheels of false religion. It could be an 18-wheeler, actually. False religion keeps making the same mistakes over and over again. Generation after generation, these Pharisees were making the same mistakes that their fathers had. Unwilling to correct, unwilling to repent. They insist that they love the prophets. Churches insist they love Jesus, build shrines to his name. May we not commit the same sins as our fathers. Well, of all these diverse expressions of Christianity, each striving to memorialize Christ the way that they have liked. If he preached today, and he preached against unrighteousness, and he said, woe to you, would we side with him? Would we endure the persecutions and the mockings along with him? Or would we be on the other side crying out, crucify him? Well, after studying all these woes, I hope we've learned that just looking religious or just acting religious doesn't cut it. It doesn't cut it. The lawyers and the Pharisees paid tribute to the prophets, ended up making the same mistakes of their fathers. Of men who call themselves Christian, if given the opportunity... Would they kill Jesus all over again? These are just five wheels. False religion rolls on. We've seen that time alone doesn't change humanity. It doesn't, folks. In our sinful nature, we will gravitate towards um, honoring men whom we can see rather than God whom we can't see. But Christianity is not a religion of esteeming men. It's about one man, Jesus Christ. Secondly, you can tell a bird by who it flocks with. Like the lawyers, the proponents of false religion are very unwilling to confront error among their peers. You can really tell a lot about a church, a ministry, even an individual by the company that they keep. Birds of a feather flock together. And then third, a polished lip service to the Bible. False religion will quote scripture. Maybe even flash a verse in the bottom of the TV screen. They'll quote scripture, but then have nothing to do with actually following it. They'll bind their listeners to difficult burdens, but then excuse themselves when caught transgressing them. Finally, just as they built tombs for the prophets, 
to honor the prophets today, you'll have many who will honor Jesus through all kinds of ceremony, pomp, and production. Isaiah said, quoted by Jesus, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And all these going ons, as we close, that Jesus confronts, this is rapid fire succession. It may seem like these have any relation to one another. Are they just random? No, they share a common connection. They all accomplish the same satanic goal. They are effectively steering people away from Christ. Verse 52, you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you're hindering those who are entering. Woe to you. It's the reason Jesus is so confrontational. There's much going on in this world that appears religious, but when you get right down to it, all kinds of activity that actually hinders people from entering the kingdom of God. So we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant. Let's pray. It's time to go. Dear Father, Hmm. What a joyous season we are in as we think about how you sent your Son to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin, to grow into a man, sinless, pure, and perfect, Father. What a wonderful a wonderful blessing the Incarnation is as Christ lived that sinless life that we surely have not. Lord, He confronted the error of His day. He did not back down. He did not cower, but was stern. Had a spine of steel, Lord. Thank You for that, that we can look at what He did and then just observe ourselves. Say, Lord, what are we doing? What are we doing? So, Father, as we celebrate this holiday now and, and uh, rejoice, I pray that your light will shine, that as we celebrate Christmas and the new year and, and look to all the wonderful things you've done, that people will be drawn to the truth of your holy word, that they will know that they are sinners who, who Christ died for, and that, Lord, that through that resurrection that new life is available, eternal life, to anyone who would receive him. To all who believe in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. It's in his name we pray. Amen.